Welcome back to the Root and Rise podcast. I'm your host, Brienne, and I intend to plant some seeds of insight, help you water them with love, and send you off with a little extra light to help you root and rise. We have a special guest with us on today's episode talking about overcoming imposter syndrome and people-pleasing. This episode was inspired and directed by your questions, dear listener. You flooded my inbox with questions on topics like imposter syndrome, speaking up, having uncomfortable conversations, finding your voice, and setting boundaries. To ask me any of your questions and have them be featured in a future episode, head over to Root and Rise podcast on any social media platform or rootandriseblog.com and contact me directly. To help shed some light on these topics, I brought in the incredible Amy Greensmith. Amy is not just a certified life coach and hypnotherapist, but also a courageous communication expert whose distinctive blend of wisdom and humor has made her a sought-after figure in the personal development space. So if you've ever struggled with feelings of not being enough, feeling undeserving, or feeling as if you've been silenced, This episode is tailor-made for you. Amy's profound insights will not only reshape your narrative, but empower you to shatter disempowering beliefs and rediscover the strength in your own voice. And make sure you are subscribed to the Root & Rise podcast because we will be talking about having uncomfortable conversations, finding your voice, and boundaries in future episodes. Without further delay, let's warmly welcome the masterful speaker and empowerment advocate, Amy Green-Smith, to the Root & Rise podcast. Fair warning, though, there might be a bit of colorful language, so if you have little ones nearby, it's earbud time for this episode. Trust me, you won't want to miss it. What is this language? I'm excited. It's an iteration of many, many years of my work because I've been doing this for like 15 years. And the program is called Worthy. It's in a nine-month container. And it also includes, which I love so much, two in-person all-inclusive retreats. So one that's a little bit closer to the beginning and then one that's in uh, going to be in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico at this gorgeous resort in May of 2024. So I ran, I ran this program before and it was just so incredibly powerful to watch women coming together in person and women who, you know, struggle with all the things that I talk about, you know, people pleasing and speaking up and and self-worth and all of those things. But also who are in higher profile positions or are in positions of authority and want to be impacting their community and impacting the world in a different way, showing up for their children in a different way, um, showing up for the future women and femme presenting people in a different way. The essence of the whole program is shifting really that internal belief, that narrative that I'm not enough, right? Like that really truly is what is quite frequently the new the nucleus behind our disempowering beliefs right there's all these offshoots of that mm-hmm. but usually it comes down to something synonymous with i'm not enough i'm not worthy i don't deserve this i don't matter there's all sorts of vocabulary we use around it but that's what it's designed to shift so we spend 9 months changing that entire trajectory so i'm pumped about it. And so if anyone's listening, they can go to amygreensmith.com slash worthy and learn all about it. That is so awesome. And what a powerful program it's needed. I need it. All women I know are kind of struggling in that department. And I hear that in the community all the time. Even just bringing up these topics, my inbox was flooded with all of these questions. That's why we have so many to go through. Really exciting. And I love 
the concept of bringing women together. I think that we can have, you know, this connection in a digital space and texting and calling and but there's something about being together in that space and doing the same thing together, working through the same thing, experiencing the same thing that really adds an entirely different layer that you just can't do without that. Our culture being so about the individual. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't really emphasize community in the sense mm-hmm. of the way that some other cultures do. So it's very much pull yourself up by your bootstraps, don't ask for help, don't look weak. But one thing that was really evident to me with this first preliminary group was that like the desire to be in community with women, but then also feeling what I call feeling uniquely broken. Like there's no one, yeah, but I'm the worst case or yeah, but they have all these other criteria that I deal with things different, you know? And so we, we want to be exceptional in our, in being quote broken, which I don't believe anybody is. And, and so there's a way in which we go, okay, but yeah, but it's, it's, it's good for everybody else, but it's not for me. I can't, I can't heal. I can't possibly be enough. And then isolating because of that and not creating connections with women where you can actually see that you're not alone. And that piece is so powerful. It is like, I feel personally attacked. How did you know I handle things like that? (laughs) (laughs) I get that a lot. (laughs) I know. I know. I was like, Oh man, she sees me. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times people have said, was that podcast about me? Or did you, <laughs> did you put that up post up because of me? And I'm like, I put that post up because of fucking everybody. Yes. <laughs> because of the human experience that you happen to also be experiencing. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So what do you do to overcome imposter syndrome yourself? Just you're bringing it up and I'm very curious now. Ooh, that's a great question. Well, first of all, in this, this is a matter of semantics. I try to refer to it as imposter complex as opposed to syndrome, because it's not actually a syndrome, you know, I also don't think that it's helpful to constantly be reminding people you have this issue. Like Mm -hmm. the issue is not necessarily with you. It's likely you brushing up against societal stigmas, messages about gender, who you are and who you're supposed to be and who you're not. So to dismantle all of that, like, okay, what the hell do we do about that? A large piece of that, I think, comes with emotional intelligence. So much of the time, we are experiencing something that makes us feel like a fraud or feel small or feel a lack of confidence. And then we make that mean, we draw the conclusion that that must mean I'm not worthy, I'm not valuable, I don't matter, or that position I don't deserve that position or I don't deserve to relish my wealth. Like we don't afford women much pleasure. You know, wealth is included in that, that that you're demonized if you actually are a wealthy woman and celebrate that. So I think a lot of it has to realize that our emotions that are showing up that are wildly uncomfortable, oftentimes are just messaging. They're just there to say like, hey, bitch, I need you to pay attention. There's something going on here. Not necessarily to say because you feel rejected, that means that yes, there's a stamp on Brianne's life that forever and always you are not deserving of what you want. But that's a very real human inclination to take an emotional experience 
and conclude it with a belief. That must mean I'm not enough. If I'm, if I go through a divorce or if somebody doesn't love me, that must mean I'm not lovable instead of that situation fucking sucks, but that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with my worth or value as a human. And that is all tied up with feeling like a, an imposter. So that would be sort of the, the genesis or the um, beginning point that I would point people to is to recognize when am I feeling something and then drawing a conclusion that is, and usually it's a micro feeling or emotion, and then it's a meta conclusion. It's this isolated rejection happened or disappointment happened or altercation happened. And then I create a meta belief about who I am. And that's when it gets really sticky. So I would start with analyzing what are the feelings that I'm feeling, really getting astute around knowing your emotions. Have you, have you read uh, what is it? Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. It's her I haven't. I haven't. I love Brene Brown, though. Love our Lady Brene of House Brown. she is. So when she was writing this book, and this book, Atlas of the Heart, is essentially a avade mecum, a reference man, almost like a dictionary of emotions that we go through. She calls them. I think it's 83 or 84 emotions or human experiences. So either things we feel or things we go through like perfectionism, people pleasing, comparison, those aren't necessarily emotions, right? But in her study of this and the way this book even came about was she asked people, she pulled, I think there was like 7,000 folks, what, what emotions can you name? What's your vocabulary in emotional acuity? And guess how many people, what most people could name? 20? <laughs> Three. <gasps> Three. Wow. Mad, glad, and sad. And so her whole come from in writing that book was, if we don't even have the vocabulary to aptly assess and describe our human experience, how are we advocating for our needs, right? Which dovetails so much into the work that I do around speaking up for yourself, boundaries, asking for what you want, not getting tethered to this feeling of, of guilt that's not necessarily warranted when you do say no, et cetera. So I think even starting with that book or going and getting an emotions wheel, something where you can start going, oh, okay, this is showing up as guilt, but what is it that I'm really feeling here? Or this is showing up as anger. Oh, what this really is, is disappointment mm -hmm. or, you know, and, and being able to have that vocabulary so that, so that we don't naturally conclude that must mean I'm a fuck up. I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. The reason I think this is also super important with stuff that you've talked about very candidly and being a survivor, getting through really kind of like a cult of one right? Like that's what a lot of abusive relationships are like. A lot of times if you're in that environment where you're being so emotionally abused, mentally abused, we don't even have, we don't know what we're feeling. We have to kind of go back to the basics of that because someone else told us who we were and how we're feeling all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And this goes for doctrine or any sort of messages that you grew up with. This goes for institutions that you're a part of. Anything that tells you like it's wrong to feel this way or it's always right to do this or that. And that negates your own internal compass. That doesn't look at your own modus operandi of what 
what am I feeling right now? There's a lot of, uh, whether it's a controlling religion or a really controlling relationship where you start to discount what you are feeling and you start to feel like you can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. And so taking back that reins, just know that it is okay if you're going, I don't know what these words mean even. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Just get a book, just get Atlas of the Heart or just get an emotions wheel. Just start somewhere. It's okay. They're not gone. They're just atrophied. So we just need to work them out a little bit more. I love that. We have some feelings and needs cards. They're Ooh. free online. You can print them off. I will link it. Um, and I love just shuffling through them. Even if I'm just, you know, don't understand what I'm experiencing. I'm triggered. I'm just having a rough day and I'm surprised at what comes up because a lot of these words don't just naturally pop into my brain. I have to like look at it and see it and process it to be like, oh, I guess there is a little bit of that emotion mixed in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great tip to go find, to go find the language. And I'm really excited. I'll have to hunt down Atlas of the Heart. I definitely have heard of it. I don't know why I don't have it. I don't have an explanation because we love Brene Brown. So how do you break free from being highly invested in the opinions of other people? So I think the first thing that we have to talk about when we talk about being highly invested in the opinions of other people is we have to talk about the moniker of people-pleasing because oftentimes when we bring up this term of people-pleasing in the personal development space, there are, I have found people who highly identify that way and go, oh my gosh, I know that's me. And then there are a whole other grouping of people who think, oh, no, a people pleaser is a doormat and they're they're mild and meek and maybe their posture is really kind of contracted and restricted. They're probably introverted. You know, putting all of these aspects onto somebody that I think is really a myopic view. I think people pleasing is truly about any time we are so highly invested in the opinions of other people that we sacrifice something that is relevant to self. So it becomes, it's more important for me to be seen in a specific way, for me to be perfect. This is where we get perfectionism. It's more important that people view me or approve of me than it is for me to be authentic, to honor my needs, to honor anything, my true desires. It's better for my focus to be out there. And that is essentially people-pleasing. So I would love for people to just entertain the idea of an expanded perspective on that. The other piece of that that I think we cannot overstep, there's two. One is that people-pleasing is not always a bad thing. The other element, and I'll, I'll dig into both of these, is that it is a part of our primitive makeup as humans. So we're all familiar with fight, flight, freeze, and now fawn, right? Fawn is something that we've been talking about as a defense technique. If we're talking about that through the lens of primitive humans, that would look like if if I'm about to be attacked by a mountain lion, to fawn as a fear response would be, here, kitty, kitty, here's some meat, go over that direction, or like, I'm going to pet you, or I'm going to, you know, trying to placate the aggressor in some way. Getting that, getting to safety by acquiescing or essentially people pleasing. And here where we'd be animal pleasing, but you know, throwing the meat, being like, oh, go over here. <laughs> but all of our primitive fear responses 
have modern iterations. And the modern iteration of fawning is people-pleasing. So what that means is when we're dealing with our day in and day out life and our in-laws don't like us, on a subconscious level, we actually think we might die. It registers to the brain as being wildly threatening and unsafe. So what do we do? We send in the tools that we are familiar with. Oh, I know how to placate. I know how to acquiesce. I know how to say, oh, I bet you would want this from me. I can shape shift my behavior in order to garner approval. And then we wonder why we have no idea what we even like anymore because we've become what everybody else wants. So, you know, even if we're, we're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, for example, one of our basic primitive human needs is one of belonging. Mm-hmm. And that again, stems from our ancestors who had to belong to a group or else it meant death. There was no mm-hmm. tribal one, you know, like you needed community to survive. So we still carry a lot of that with us. So I think it's important for us to understand that it's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it is coming to our defense. And that is incredibly applicable to anyone who's in a marginalized identity. So as a woman or someone who is femme presenting, you're already marginalized, right? Mm -hmm. And then if we add anything else on top of that, like being a person of color, being in a fat body, being, and I say that with a reclamation of the word fat, a disabled body, a queer body, then it's exponentially worse that there are dangerous situations where people pleasing may be your best bet. So in my own life, I, I identify as queer. And if I was at an, an environment where it was clearly hostile towards LGBTQ plus community, that probably isn't the moment for me to be waving my rainbow flag and yelling and screaming and trying to make a point. Right then I could do better service to what I care about by staying alive and not being physically harmed. So I think we need to be careful in personal development spheres when we say like, don't be a perfectionist ever, or don't be a people pleaser ever. And I'm like, no, there's a lot of nuance here. If I'm going in for brain surgery, you better fucking hope that that neurosurgeon is a perfectionist. Like there Mm -hmm. is no room for error in certain situations. So that's one thing that I think is really important for us to take away from this is first of all, let's expand our concept of what people pleasing is, right? That it is a high investment in the opinions of other people or how you're being perceived at a cost to you that it is sometimes a great defense mechanism and that we're all wired that way. It's not something that you are uniquely broken with and you're alone in this issue. We're all combating that. So I think that piece we have to identify first. And then if we're looking at how do we break out of that, I think one of the most important pieces here is to identify where am I actually people pleasing? Where is that behavior showing up? And we can usually find that with a little hack of what do I complain about and how frequently, and am I actually complaining to the person who could do something about the grievance? Because you probably know just as well as I, like if you're really pissed, it's your partner who gets near full, but the person who you're really mad at is your mom and your mom never hears about it right? You just, you cool down and then you sweep it under the rug or you don't open it up in a can of worms or whatever other idiom we want to use. And you pretend like it's fine, but then you vent and complain about your mom constantly to your partner or you're pissed at your sister and your mom gets in your, like you get the picture. So sometimes we are speaking up, but we're not doing it to the appropriate party. And 
the important piece about this is understanding that people pleasing is pretty much directly antithetical to speaking up for yourself. So we can tap into where am I chronically silencing myself? Where am I pissed about something, but I haven't given voice to it to the appropriate party? What I'm not talking about here is just venting and just needing to clear it and to just like, oh, I had this hard day. Let me just get this out. I'm not talking about those situations. I'm talking about habitual ways of complaining about something that that other person may have no idea that you're upset about. Mm-hmm. So asking yourself, would this other person have any idea how impacted I am by that exchange, that experience, that work request? If no, then that's your ability. That's your responsibility to go and say, hey, here's what's happening for me. And then that's where we get tough conversations and boundaries, et cetera. But usually if we start with what and whom do I complain about the most chronically without taking action, that's usually where I need to start with analyzing my people-pleasing behavior. Because if it's worth complaining about, it's probably worth taking action on. And you're already spending energy on it. So why not direct that energy towards a solution? That's right. That's right. A hundred percent. Love that. This is only scratching the surface of my enlightening conversation with Amy Green-Smith. If you're hungry for more empowering insights, be sure to subscribe and tune in next week for the second part of our interview, where Amy and I dive into all things difficult conversations, how to start them, how to end them, what to say, and how to stand up for yourself. I thought that this would be a perfect one to release right around the holidays. I hope that you are fortunate enough to spend the holidays with people who truly love and support you and bring peace into your life, but that's not the case for a lot of people. I know the holidays can be stressful and bring up a lot of uncomfortable and difficult conversations. And even if it's not the holidays you're worried about, but some other difficult conversation, this episode is for you. She shares crafting responses when caught off guard, setting clear boundaries in communication, handling polarizing political discussions with family, strategies for speaking up without getting entangled in those larger debates, and so much more. But before we part ways, Amy, can you quickly share with our listeners where they can connect with you? You can find me really anywhere on social under the handle Hey Amy Greensmith. Perfect. I will have that linked in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here with us, Amy. I have learned so much. I know my listeners have. This is going to be broken up into multiple parts. And I already want you back. So thank you very much for your time, your energy, and all of your wisdom. Mm. Well, thank you so much. And you are most welcome.